Thank you, everybody. We're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 4, and we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 16 in just a few moments. Everybody wants to know why. Why the horrible things that happen in our world? Why the mass shootings? Why the attacks on the synagogues, the mosques? the churches, why the random stabbings, why the genocide, why the infanticide, why the the soul-piercing, relationship-killing words that seem to just drip off of our tongues. Why? Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, and let's see what the Lord has for us, what else the Lord has for us today. And let's just stand and read together this passage that is very, very familiar to any of us who spent any time in church and went to Sunday school. Inevitably, you heard the story of Cain and Abel, and that's where we're at this morning. Genesis chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 16. It says, Now Abel knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain... But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and he fell on his he, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it." Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I wonder I wonder if Adam and Eve thought that he might be the one. The one. You know, all, all parents, when the, the, their new parents 
a new child is there. They're, they're filled with this kind of sense of, of wonder and anticipation, a curiosity. What is this child going to become? To quote the adventures of Tom Sawyer, Aunt Polly says, who knows? He may even grow up to be president someday. If you're anything like me, you've wondered something similar to that. Could this child be beheaded for greatness? But then, all of a sudden, your thinking starts to tend towards what Aunt Polly said next. And you use, this usually happens right around when your child reaches the ripe old age of two. He may be president someday, unless they hang him first. But you know, when Cain was first born to Eve, I wonder if they thought that he might be the one, if he might be the one that God alluded to when he was pronouncing the curse. He said that there would be enmity between the serpent and between the woman, between his offspring, what he would produce, and the offspring that would come from her. There was going to come one of her descendants who would crush the serpent's head. In other words, there was hope. The the serpent had poisoned human hearts. He led them to consider that God's way, that's not the best way. He encouraged them to think that if they're going to experience maximum joy, lasting satisfaction, if they were going to reach their full potential, then they should not listen to God. They should think for themselves, do things their way, Do what's best in their eyes. Essentially, his goal was to shift their worship. It was to get them to exchange their allegiance to the one who had made them, who had put them in this garden paradise, put everything that they could possibly need right at their fingertips. He wanted to divert their worship away from that person, and he wanted them to bow their knees to to another. And as we discussed last week, that brought terrible consequences. It was awful. But what's this? Eve, the mother of all living, she's ha- she had a son. This is tremendous. This is phenomenal. It's, it's a cause for celebration. She exclaims, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, I don't know. Some, some people question this statement, and they think that maybe what this really means is that Eve was filled with pride. God was the one who created people before, but now I can create people. Some people think that. Other people think that, no, she's just truly humbled. This is a miraculous thing that has happened. A a son, what a great privilege that I was able to bring a son into the world. The author doesn't really give us too much direction on where to go in our thinking on those details. But I'll bet you anything, she was wondering, could he be the one? Could this be the head crusher? the serpent killer, the poison extractor, the one who would clean up the mess that we've made and bring humanity back to paradise, back to right relationship with God. So Eve names her first son Cain. And then not before too long, a second son comes along. His name is Abel. We're told that Cain was a worker of the ground. Abel, a shepherd. Both of these seem to be respectable career paths. We're not given any specific indication that one was necessarily better than the other. Now take a look at verse 3. 
in the course of time, it says. Now, this seems to be an indication that there were certain times of the year when offerings were made to God, in worship to God. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, there seems to be something going on here. Jewish rabbis, they thought so. They've thought so for, for, for years. They point out that, that words like fat and firstborn, those are indicators that Abel, he gave his very best in worship to God. Now, fat isn't a very attractive term in our day and age. It's not something that we desire to have a lot of. In fact, people go to great lengths to get rid of it, and we'll put ourselves through treacherous exercise routines and diet regimens, and we'll even pay gobs and gobs of money for dangerous medical procedures to reduce fat. Oh, that we could shed just a few extra unwanted pounds. But fat in this context... In a world where calories meant survival rather than a threat to our waistline, fat was a very desirable thing. To give of the fat portions, it was to sacrifice the very best, what everyone wanted. It was a way to show someone, God in this case, to show them that you value them above any other. So to give of the firstborn, the first choice, or to give of the fat, that was an indicator of genuine, heartfelt worship. Fat, firstborn. We don't see these descriptors when it comes to Cain's offering, do we? Could it be that his offerings weren't the very best? Could it be that he didn't take his worship of God seriously? I mean, could it be that he was just kind of going through the motions and that there were other things more near and dear to his heart? Well, what happens next in this passage, I think, confirms our suspicions. The end of verse 4 tells us, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. That word for regard, sha'ah, it means that he respected it. He accepted it. He looked on Abel and Abel's offering with a certain amount of favor, but not Cain. Verse 5 says, But for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So there's something about Cain, and there's something about what he offered that just was not quite right. As we already mentioned, it seems like maybe he didn't give his very best. But the problem actually lies deeper. Deeper than the quality of the fruit and the vegetables. The reality here is that worship is far more than form, far more than size and shape or price or appearance of what's offered. You may not have the best voice, in fact, many of you have, may have outright terrible voices. I haven't found you yet, but you might be out there. You may not have the best clothes, or maybe not clothes that someone might think is appropriate of a worshiper of God. You may not have a lot of money. Maybe there are others out there who have much more money than you and make sizable off offerings that would just put yours to shame. But worship takes on all different shapes and sizes, the main thing, though, is at its core, worship is all about the heart. 
right? That's what we're told God cares about in 1 Samuel 16. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, what does he look at? He looks at the heart. There's a certain relativity of when it comes to what is offered in worship. Some have a lot to offer, some have a little to offer, but the important thing is like that widow in Mark 12, the important thing is that you give all you've got. You give your very best. Jesus said she gave two small copper coins. Someone gave me one of those types of copper coins. They're very small. They're smaller than one of our pennies. And she gave these two small copper coins. They, they added up to the amount of about a penny. And even though she gave so little, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. They all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Now here's the thing. I don't need to encourage you to give your all in worship, to give your very best. No one ever has a problem giving their very best in worship. We always do it. We always pour ourselves fully into the thing or the one that we worship. But the big question is, what do we worship? Who do we worship? See, if Cain didn't give his very best in worship to God, that means he was saving his very best for someone else. That deep down inside, he worshipped someone or something else other than God. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My suspicion is that Cain and his offering, they were rejected because God saw clearly that the treasure that he was offering and the heart that offered it, it was an indicator to God that God wasn't the one that he was really worshiping. His heart beat for another. For whom or for what does your heart beat? What does my heart beat for? The type of offerings that we give, they'll help us answer that question. And when you look at when you look at your monthly expenses, apart from what is absolutely necessary for you to spend money on, where do you find your money going to? If it leans heavily in the direction of things like entertainment or, or real pricey food or f- fantastic elaborate getaways, then it, it could be, it could be that pleasure is an object of your worship. When you look at the way you budget your time, are there things that you clearly devote more time to, maybe than you should be devoting time to that thing? It could very well be that therein lies the object of your worship. Let's put Christians under the microscope specifically right now. When you sing praises to God, we gather together, we're singing praises to Him, do you give it all you've got regardless of, of pitch or tone? Or do you hold back your voice because you really don't have the voice that you would like? That could be an indication. It's possible that it could be an indication that the one you're really worshiping 
is yourself, your own pride? Does the environment that you find yourself caught up in, the room, maybe the quality of the sound system, maybe even the people around you or the circumstances that we find ourselves in, does that hinder you from wholeheartedly giving yourself, giving all of yourself to praise God? Well, that could be evidence that what we really worship is personal preference. Do you hold back your tithe because times are tight? Maybe you worship financial security more than the God to to whom everything belongs, even our pocketbooks. Do you get all bent out of shape when you feel disrespected, when you feel disregarded, when you feel ignored? Could it be that the one sitting on the throne of your heart isn't God, but you? You see, that's exactly what we see going on here with Cain. We're led to believe he worshipped someone else. His actions and words seem to show that. And not only did he apparently hold back his best, he's filled with anger when he finds out that his offering wasn't accepted. Look again at verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, just as we will gladly give ourselves to the one or whatever we worship, in the same way, we'll be filled with anger when the object of our worship is threatened. We'll be filled with anger. See, if God was the one that Cain truly worshipped, then hearing that his offering was not accepted, I think that would have been heartbreaking. God, what do, you, what do you mean my offering's not accepted? I think he would have fallen on his knees. He would have begged God for an explanation. Maybe he would have confessed sin. I think he would have thought, surely the problem is with me. It can't be with God, because God is so great, he's so beautiful, he's so wonderful. He's the only one worthy of worship. Far be it from me to ever question him. It's got to be me. But what his response actually shows is that God wasn't the one he was worshiping. He worshiped himself. And self just took a blow to the head. A big blow to the head. His pride was wounded and his blood boiled with rage. How dare you not accept my offering? This is my offering. Do you know who I am? It's my offering. Third human being on the planet. My offering. You didn't accept my offering? Who does God think that he is? And not only does his anger burn against God, but it also burns with jealousy toward his brother. Maybe he was thinking, that goody good. How dare he show me up? I'm not going to stand by and let my younger brother make me look bad. So easy to do, isn't it? So easy. I've been there. (laughs) Why do they get all the attention? I work hard. How come, how come they seem to just be able to take the easy road? Everything just comes so easy for them. They get the notoriety. They get the, this job over here. They get, everyone loves them. Everyone's rallying around them. They've got books. They're signing. They're doing all kinds of stuff. How come not me? 
How come I seem to be working so hard, and yet I feel like I'm getting nowhere? Oh yeah, I know those thoughts all too well. All too well. Instead of being happy for the other person, instead of looking at them maybe as an example to follow and to learn from, I'm thinking, how can I pull them down? They shouldn't be up there. They should be right here with me. How can I pull them down off that pedestal? And so I'm playing this mental king of the hill, thinking, what faults do they have? I, I disregard all the good stuff there. I just want to pick out those one or two things that maybe I can exploit and like a politician start running negative campaign ads against them because how dare they look better than me? Jared, are you really going to let that happen? Are you going to stand by? Now that's insanity. That's like I'm back in junior high all over again. It's not what mature adults do. Ah, but it is what worshipers of self do. Absolutely. See, if the one that I worship is myself, I'm going to fight. I'm going to claw. I might stoop to gutter level and play dirty so that I can prop up my object of worship. God warned Cain. He said that was a dangerous place. Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So those thoughts that well up in our heads, thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of anger, we think that those thoughts are for us. We think that defending our honor, propping ourselves up, that's going to be good for us. But God said, no, that's sin. See, that's sin. And the only thing that sin wants to do for you is harm you, is hurt you, is destroy you. He said, it's contrary to you. You think it's for you, but it's against you. It lies to you. It makes you think that it is the fast track to personal glory, but it hurls you over a cliff and right into a pit of dissatisfaction and regret and shame. Worship is important. Who or what we worship is important. And I'd like to propose to you this morning that worship is deadly. Actually, I'd like to propose to you this morning that worship inevitably leads to murder. Inevitably leads to murder. Look at what happens in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's worship of self, it led to anger, which led to bitterness, which led to this incredible violence that welled up within him. Led him to hate the one who was doing well. Now, I don't think I need to warn any of us and and encourage any of us, hey, I don't want you to go out and murder anyone today. Don't go kill anybody today. I I think that might be a little extreme. I mean... I might be selling you short if I I do that. But you know what? We are in danger. We're in danger each and every day. Every time we gather on this campus, every time we post something online, every time we pick up the phone, every time we run across one another at the grocery store, we're in danger of killing relationships. 
We're in danger of killing joy, killing peace, killing the unity that we experience, that Christ gave his life to give, killing the effectiveness of our witness to our community outside the boundaries of this campus. We're in great danger because whether it's physical, whether it's relational, whether it's something else, worship, I believe, inevitably leads to murder. If you and I worship our personal dignity or our image, our security, our position, our personal space, our pocketbooks, our preferences, our feelings, if we're here to worship anything other than God, then sin is crouching at the door. And that sin, if it's not, if it's not stopped, it's going to kill. Who or what? Who or what are we worshiping? Worship inevitably leads to murder. Now you might be thinking, you might be thinking, Jared, that's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> you are, you, I've been tracking with you for the last several months. Seems like you, you sometimes make sense, but this doesn't make sense at all. I can see murder coming from worship of things other than God, but you're not talking about worship of God, are you? I absolutely am. Worship of God inevitably leads to murder. Even genuine, heartfelt, authentic worship of God inevitably leads to murder. Let me explain what I mean. This statement that I'm about to make has to be taken in context. You take it out of context and we could be in trouble. Not all anger, not all hatred, not all murder is wrong. See, if God is the one we really and truly worship, then when we see sin in our hearts, we should hate it. When we see sin calling us away from God, when we see it lying to us, when it tempts us to turn our eyes off of Him and onto something else, leads us to worship something else, we find ourselves becoming more focused on our preferences than the one who's worthy of praise. When we're tempted to, to take offense when, when someone looked at us the wrong way, they spoke to us the wrong way, they did something to us that we didn't like, and we're tempted to not show Christ's forgiveness towards them, but just hold a grudge against them, when we begin to feel jealousy welling up inside of us rather than excitement for how God is blessing others, if God is the one we really and truly worship, then we're going to hate it when we see sin trying to rob God of the worship that only He is deserving of. If God is the one that we worship, then we're going to be filled with a a holy, righteous, white heart, murderous anger towards sin. Absolutely. Paul wrote in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, those sinful sinful urges, the sinful desire that it wells up within you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who is now at work and living inside of you, if you place your trust in Christ, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put them to death, he says. The great teacher of the church, one of my personal heroes, John Owen, summed up this verse this way, be killing sin, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. God said to Cain, it's contrary to you. He was right. He said, you must rule over it. 
He was absolutely right. If God is the one we worship, and sin is contrary to God, and it's contrary to us, the worshipers, then sin has got to go. It's right to hate it. It's right that we should fight against it, struggle with it. It's right that we should want to beat it into submission. It's right that we should have murderous rage in our hearts towards it. What is it that you and I hate? That will be an indicator of who we truly worship. There's a lot more to this passage. The whole lot more to this passage. And I'm just going to leave that for you to study on your own this week. And if you need some, some good uh, books to, to take a look at, some good commentators, good pastors, I can recommend those later. But I think it's important that we just land here today. Because this is fundamental to the Christian life. This, this can be so deadly to us. In the New Testament, the book of Jude In verse 11, we see a reference to the way of Cain. He says, the way of Cain. It's not a good way. Not a way you want to, not a path you want to go down. It's a way in which people give themselves over to any kind of vice for personal gain. Where they become the judge of good and evil. Where they take matters into their own hands. Where they go out and they get theirs, no matter how low they have to go, or who it hurts. In essence, it's the way of Cain is all about worship. All about worship. It's about exchanging your worship of Almighty God for any countless millions of other things that there are out there in the world, including ourselves, which should never be worshipped. And the scary thing is, I don't know about you, but, but for me, the scary thing is, When I look at Cain, I see far more similarities than differences in myself. Too often do I find myself spending exorbitant amounts of time or money on things other than God. Too often do I find myself getting irritated and angry and allowing resentment to build up inside of me Because I've exchanged worship for God, for worship of myself. Have you been there? Worship, it inevitably leads to murder, but whose blood are we out to get? Let's not take the way of Cain. Let's be on our knees crying out to God like David did at the end of Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, know my heart And know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's what I want. Weed out that sin that is in my life. Rip it out. Burn it. Be done with it. I want to be all yours. Here I am. A living sacrifice for you. You gave your all for me very least I can do is give myself to you in worship and praise to your great name. Because of who he is and what he's done in making a way for us to be forgiven, have our relationship with God be restored through Jesus Christ, let's let our worship be reserved for God and God alone. May it burn. May it burn pure and unhindered and unspoiled. May it burn white hot. May it be acceptable. 
bringing glory to God and good to his people. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are worshipers. And we live and breathe, we walk among worshipers in this world. But Lord, we are so tempted to worship other things, things other than you. And Lord, we see each and every day how destructive that is. We see murders happening. We see, we see genocide happening. We see infanticide happening. We see people coming into places of worship and unloading their weapons on people who are unarmed, Lord. We see people worshiping all over the place and worship is deadly, so destructive to us. It's contrary to us if we worship anything other than you. And Lord, we confess to you this morning, there are times, I confess to you this morning, there are times this week, there have been times this morning where I have been tempted, I have even given in to worship other things. I've worshipped my own personal preference, I've worshipped my own ego, my own dignity, my own feelings. Lord, we confess those to you now. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that Jesus was well aware of each and every one of those thoughts, each every one of those motives of our hearts, Lord, that were evil, that were wrong. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Him, Lord. And lead us to be worshipers of you and you alone. Cause us to think so highly of you and be so drawn to you and be so in love and so enamored, so filled with joy because of you that we hate our sin. That we want to do anything and everything to get ourselves rid of it, Lord. That our prayer each and every day, Lord, is that you put us under the microscope and you allow us to see what is wrong inside of us. And we might confess it, offer it up to you, and ask, Lord, that you refine us, that you make us pure. Lord, we want to be that bride of Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that just shines brilliantly. A testimony, not to our own goodness, but to the goodness of Christ. May you be exalted. May you be glorified. And Lord, may you do a great work in us that shines the light of Jesus to others around us that they might come in and exchange their worship. Worship of all these things that should not be worshipped. They might exchange it for worship of you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word, which points us to you and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.